Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Agent of Influence podcast. I'm your host, Nabil Hannan, Field Chief Information Security Officer at NetSpy, a leader in offensive security. In this podcast, we discuss life as a security leader and the challenges and opportunities that accompany the job. Listen to our past episodes at www.netspy.com slash agent of influence or wherever you listen to podcasts. Today, we're joined by Tim Derrickson. Hi, Tim. Hi, Bill. How are you? I'm well. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me. Tim was destined for security after working in a range of roles, including systems engineering for healthcare and starting his own computer businesses, which are still running today. As part of his responsibilities, he vetted several security solutions and then pursued certification for CISSP. After initially serving as a VCSO at One Step Secure IT, Tim has recently been promoted to Director of IT and Security Services. Congrats on the promotion, Tim. Yeah, thank you, Neville. It's been a... Uh... It's been a long journey to get to this specific spot in time. Well, enjoy it. I'm sure it's very well deserved. So congrats again. The way we like to start is with our round of rapid fire questions to get to know our guest a little better. So if you're ready, we can get that started. All right, shoot. First question, Apple or Android? Yes, I have an Apple. My wife has an Android. Do you have a preference between the two? I actually have been thinking about trying to get rid of my Apple because the only reason I hold on to it is for the music. And I've had it all since I started having a phone back in the early 90s. It's been Apple. Got it. What's the most used app on your phone? And let's not talk about like SMS or email. Well, it's funny because you say that it's like Duo and Google Authenticator. Um, if not that, then I would probably have to say Audible. Audible. Okay. So you like to listen to audiobooks. Yeah. Makes the drive home nice. <laughs> Absolutely. What's the best lesson you learned from your first job? Check three times before executing. Okay. Sounds like there's a good story behind that. I, uh, it was the first time working on a SQL database. It was a live database. And I changed all the dates to every record in the database to the same one. Did you forget the where clause? I, yes, I did. <laughs> I just had the you know the update star and just let it go. Mm -hmm. okay. And then uh, it took the next, I think, two weeks to put them all back where they were supposed to be. There you go. I've done something similar, but during a pen test on a live production website, which did not have a database backup. So I know the feeling, but adrenaline that hits when you find out what happened. Yeah, mine was early enough that they didn't have backups yet. <laughs> we were still just going paper. There you go. If you could live anywhere, where would it be? That's actually a tough one because I'd actually be right where I am right now, for now. Um, I like the green and the seasons. I'm in Phoenix, Arizona right now. That really doesn't have it. But we've actually had a very good year this year with a lot of rain. So we're seeing the green at least instead of the brown. Well, you have a lot of golf courses that have green in, in Arizona. You'd be surprised how many of them go brown during the summer. I've been there, so I, I'm familiar, yes. Yeah. <laughs> what would you say is your favorite meal, breakfast, lunch, or dinner? Breakfast. It's always, uh, it's, it's usually the good food. Do you have a favorite breakfast item? Oh, no, just breakfast, waffle, eggs, anything. I'll do it for dinner, too. Breakfast for dinner. <laughs> What's your favorite holiday? Thanksgiving. My wife and I celebrate Thanksgiving by ourselves. It's just our holiday. So no kids, no family, no parents, no siblings. We just go and do something else for Love it. What would you describe as your passion? Um, I love security. And so, you know, that's a big part of my life. I have a lab at home. And if I'm not riding my bike or out with my wife, we go out into nature and kayak and we love being outdoors. I'm in my office. 
exploding things and cybersecurity playing on the dark web, right? What was the last thing you read, or I guess if in your case, you listened to on Audible? Actually, it's both. I got a book from my boss called Six Thinking Hats, and I actually uh, read it and I've got it on Audible so I can kind of get it in my head a little bit more. But it's basically about uh, using different hats on the way to see things in a meeting. So if I'm feeling something that's very emotional, I can choose a color hat, red, it's emotional, and I can be emotional and nobody's going to hold it against me. Or it can be logical or it can be so you can look at it from different perspectives. So it's a different way of holding a business meeting. What's the favorite part of your job? My team. Hands down. I love working with my team. They're all a great bunch of guys and they're all funny in their own way, sometimes not on purpose. What's the least favorite part of your job? That's a tough one, too, because I really I love working with uh, the people. But I would have to say probably is the business meetings that take me away from working with cybersecurity. Understandable. What would you say is your favorite cybersecurity event or conference? It's, uh, I always remember, I always forget the name of this. It's the uh, IOTSSA Cybersecurity Expo. It's the Internet of Things, um, Security, and I'm not going to remember it, but it's actually, it's really good. I'd, I'd love to give them a plug. It's, uh, it's all things cybersecurity. And I probably met some of the nicest people there from, you know, PAX8, from Threat Locker, from Netsharian from Highwire. I mean, just all these different vendors that uh, show up. And it's a great event. All right. And our last question, do you have a favorite mentor and what makes them a good mentor? So my favorite mentor, I don't remember his name. So I don't know if that makes him my favorite mentor or not. I had just gotten my certified Nobel engineer certification. And he took me through saying, you walk into a room and the lights turned off. How do you fix it? And why do they pay you? And I went, well, now we have to go ask, right? You have to ask the questions. What's going on? He goes, no, you already know the answer. It's a light switch. So you know where to turn it on. That's what they pay you for. That's it. They don't pay you to try and, you know, do all these different things or tell them all these great things that, you know, they pay you to walk in the door and get the job done. Pretty simple. That's good advice. And it's very insightful. I get it. I, I get it how we maybe overcomplicate things sometimes when we don't need to. Yeah, or we or we overspeak it, right? Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, those are the rapid fire questions. It's good to get to know you a little better. So now let's get started into the regular part of our programming. You know, you've been a veteran in this industry for a really long time, and you know how there's a lot of things that are focused more on the FUD side of things, right? The fear, uncertainty, and disaster side of things. Can you help us understand your perspective on this? And if there are certain things that are really positives and negatives uh, within this theme? Oh, absolutely. And, and I think what I've always found strange when it comes to fun is that you're walking into an environment and you're telling them everything that's wrong and everything that's going to go wrong if you don't put in your specific security stack, uh, your firewall, your service, whatever it is that you want to put in place. You're going to make them as fearful as possible. And then you get in there and you do everything that you're supposed to do, which means the environment's now secure and there's nothing to be scared of and they don't know why they're paying you right? What's the point of you being here? Now that my environment's stable, I don't have to worry about it. You've already set it up and secured it. Why? And when you walk in, if, and if you just look at, we had used the word fun, um, and we just busted our brains for the longest time to figure out, well, it, it's got to be fun, but we need to make an acronym out of it. Um, so we decided on um, facts, understanding, and nurturing. Facts is, you know, you go in and you just give them the truth. You give them, this is what's going on out there in the world. And cybersecurity, it is scary. There's a lot going on. 
Uh, there's many businesses being hacked. There's a lot of ransomware out there. There's more malware out there than there's ever been with everything that's going on in the world. So just, you know, lay out the landscape. This is how it is. And then the understanding. Let them understand how they can start making their uh, their environments a lot more secure and make them so that they feel safe in their environment. And then nurturing, and that's nurturing the partnership, right? It's got to be a partnership. And if you nurture the partnership, so you've gone in and you told them what it is, you've explained to them so they understand everything, and now it's a partnership. This is how we can help you, and this is how we help you. And you walk them through it step by step, and there's never that initial shock of, I have to get all this stuff in there. It's more of just a journey, right? Cybersecurity should just be a nice journey where you you start at one place and you want to get to the next place, and so you just make it as easy as possible for your client to get from being unsecure to secure. As much as I like the fun acronym uh, that you've come up with, you know, being in security, I feel like you need to have a certain amount of that FUD factor in your everyday thinking in order to stay sharp. But I can see why the FUD factor itself can be overly fear-mongering and theme that kind of wears you out in the long run. So as a security leader, what guidance would you have on how to balance out the FUD and the fun and do it in a way where you're not necessarily losing anything or losing perspective on, on things that need to be focused on? Well, I think that's the facts. The facts are it is scary out there. The two scariest parts of my day are walking out the door at night when I'm done and walking back in the door in the morning to come to work because I don't know what I'm walking into and I don't know what I'm leaving. The facts will tell you, you know, once again, cybersecurity is important. If you don't have some type of uh, security stack in your environment, if you don't have someone who understands security, since IT and security are not the same thing, then you're going to be lost. So I think that we're kind of moving the FUD, right? We're not putting it center stage. Uh, within the facts and the understanding, we're going to go through fear, uncertainty, and disaster because that's what we do. And that's who we are. I think uh, as people who work in cybersecurity, we're built that way. That's how we, you know, like I said, when I walk in the morning, the first thing I'm doing is I'm going through everything because I'm just nervous because I need to make sure that all of my clients are safe, we're safe. There haven't been any new zero days. There are no new breaches. There's, you know, I don't have to worry about whatever it might be or whatever's happening. And it's not like the old IT days where, you know, if the server's down, we re reboot it, right? We rebuild it in 20 minutes. It's, they have ransomware and it's going to take us two weeks or however long it's going to take us to figure out what the IOCs are and realizing which type of ransomware it is so that we can bring them back to a point that they can work. You know, a big part of what you've said that really interests me is how you've made it a conscious effort to really change the perspective on how others see security. And within your role, you know, at One Step Secure IT, right, that's been something you've clearly focused on. I'm curious to understand how do people today delineate the difference between security and IT? And what do you think is the right approach in shifting that thinking going forward? That's, well, I think that IT, so internet technology and information security or information technology, so one, if we are going to say we're working in IT, our whole job is to make sure data flows, right? 
we want to make sure that data gets from the server to the end user. We don't care how it gets there. It just has to get there because that's how they get their jobs. And if they can't do their job, they're going to cause a lot of noise, right? Squeaky wheel gets the grease. And that's in any industry. So we're going to make sure that that end user is able to do their jobs. But that doesn't mean they're staying safe. So we actually break it up into three different ways, right? When we explain it, you have information technology, you have compliance, and you have security. And they're all different. Information security, if we wanted to, um, if we need to get the baby to the babysitter and we're in our house, we're going to, in IT, I need to get that baby there as quickly as possible any way that I can. So I throw on my motorcycle helmet, throw the baby in a knapsack, throw the knapsack on my back, jump on the motorcycle, and I race down the road. I don't have to stop at stop signs. I don't have to. I just go and I get there. So somehow I get there, right? And so we have TCP and UDP and most people in our in our industry would understand, you know, the difference between the two. If you're talking compliance now, and believe it or not, there are still states in the United States where you can put a baby on your back and ride the motorcycle. So this is actually relevant. In compliance, you can still put the baby on your back, jump on the motorcycle, but you're going to you're going to follow the rules, right? You're going to go to the stop sign, you're going to stop. You're going to go at the end of its light, you're going to stop and go, you're going to turn on your blinkers to turn, and you're going to make sure you get the baby to the babysitter. In security, we look at it a little bit different. So we're going to make sure the baby's secure. So first, we're not going to be on the motorcycle. We're going to be in some type of highly rated safe car, if not a Humvee, right? Throw the baby in the baby seat, strap it in, make sure it's nice and warm. We're going to look going out the driveway, look both ways, throw on our blinkers. We're going to come up on a stop sign. And the difference between compliance and security is if we see something bad happen, we're going to keep going if we can safely. Compliance, you have to stop. Security, you want to keep secure. So you you want to secure it all the way to the uh, to the, the babysitter. So And that's kind of how we explain it, as quickly as I can, I guess. And so IT is to make sure the data gets there any way possible. Security is we're going to make it secure. We're going to make sure it's encrypted. We're going to make sure that it's encrypted at rest, in transit, and in use. We're going to make sure that you're using a VPN if you're trying to get into your environment or even out of your environment to make sure your traffic's encrypted. We're going to make sure you're using multi-factor authentication. We're going to make sure of all these different things to keep the environment safe. Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. And speaking of TCP and UDP, a joke came to mind that I heard that I think you might enjoy. The joke goes, because of COVID-19, we're converting all TCP applications to UDP to avoid handshakes. Yeah, <laughs> that's actually pretty good. I'm going to tell my guys that they like the corny jokes too. Yeah, same here. I'm full of bad jokes. So let's move on. You know, I'm I'm curious to get your perspective from here. You know, you you spoke about the whole connectivity and and making sure things function and get from point A to point B, and and that's kind of your goal. I'm curious from a supply chain perspective. You know, there are various challenges we've been seeing as of late being highlighted more and more, and people focusing on software supply chain issues more and more. Looking ahead from a supply chain perspective, are there certain trends you're foreseeing or you're expecting to see coming our way? It's, it's how I think everybody's, I think, in our whole industry is looking at the supply chain because that's where a lot of our, uh, I guess, I don't want to say we were blindsided, but we've been blindsided, right? Uh, last pass, um, uh, say uh, some of the real big ones. So I think that going forward, I think it's all, I think a lot of it's going to have to do with identity. Identity has become so important. Because if you can protect that identity, you can you can protect everything to your login. It's everything that you do. But I think in supply chain, I think that's going to be a big place to look now 
you know, even with 2FA, is it enough? What's enough now? Are there ways you think organizations need to be more proactive when it comes to securing their supply chain? Think about the cyber liability insurance, right? So when you get hit, insurance is going to come in and they're going to look at all your different steps to see what you did to make sure that you did your due diligence, that you did everything right, even though you still got ransomware or you still got some type of malware in your environment or something was stolen or whatever it might be. I think that we need to stay on top of our vendors the same way. We need to be having those assessments sent out and doing vendor assessments so that if something happens to us, we have the proof from the vendor that says they were doing their due diligence, which I don't think a lot of us, we do it and we have our clients do it. But I don't know that a lot of small businesses out there are doing that. And even some of the larger, medium and uh, large size businesses, I think, are missing out on some of the make sure those vendors are doing some type of self-assessment and that you can see it. If you're using a SOC, make sure you're getting a SOC type 2 report from them so that you know exactly what's going on with them. As users of products, we now have to stay on top of our vendors to make sure they're doing what they need to do to keep safe. Insurance and compliances are changing the way that they're looking at things and kind of throwing things back on the business and on the MSP that we're doing what we're supposed to be doing instead of the way it has been right now is a lot of it gets thrown onto the credit card companies. You know, they didn't keep the credit card information safe. They're looking at us and saying, well, if it came through us, then it's our fault, not their fault. No, understood. I mean, so speaking of MSPs as well, and then the partnership that MSPs and pen testing providers play, you know, it's a close working environment. We obviously work with similar clients from that perspective, and even one step, and that's why we have a partnership today. I'm curious to understand, how do your clients typically use pen testing? And and what's their maturity in understanding how to apply pen testing? And also, what's their approach to determining when pen Testing needs to happen. I think a lot of it has to do with well, we so we have VCSOs now you know, instead of the VCIO, we have the VCSOs, uh, the virtual chief security officers. But I think that they need to be walking them through. Compliance is now re, are requiring orderly scans at least. Um, I think even the most unrestrictive one is that it just says that you have to have multiple, which means you could have it twice a year. But pen testing is so important to keep your environment secure and to really understand what your vulnerabilities are. You know, in a standard vulnerability test, it's just going to go against known uh, CVEs. It's going to go against known vulnerabilities that are already out there and that have been discovered. Whereas pen testing broadens that and really goes into areas that shows true weakness because it's, it's impossible they could find a zero day. It's possible they can find a hole, a configuration hole that you missed that a vulnerability test might not have even checked for. It's just so important to have that extra piece of security. And for me, it's actually an extra piece of mind to know that there's someone else out there who's looking at our environment, because we do third party as well. We have people come in and, and do ours, to know that someone's really looking into our environment and trying to do the same thing I do for others. And that is, honestly, we're there to, to break into their environment, show them where the hole is. So do you think today there is a shared understanding of what penetration testing truly is and how to use it effectively? I would hope so. 
I think that's a really interesting question. I think that within the industry, I think security looks at pen testing different than the rest of the world. I think the rest of the world would probably kind of group it in with just like a vulnerability test, which it's not, but it's it's similar. And we know that it's not a vulnerability test. So when I think that it can be cost prohibitive for some smaller companies to have pen testing done because it does get a little expensive. But I think that once they understand what the purpose, the true purpose of a pen test is, and they understand all the work that goes behind it, it's usually something that most even smaller business executives understand the risk and it's worth the cost. You know, I have over the years built my own perspective and approach on what I tell people on how to best use pen testing. But I always like asking others to get their perspective from their lens. You know, if resources and cost was not an issue, what advice would you give companies on how to best utilize pen testing as part of their business process? Wow, there's no, I would say that it would be continuous, monthly maybe, I don't know, because you would have to go in some type of cycle. So you'd have to follow the steps from right from uh, doing your fingerprinting and, and getting everything set up and doing all your discovery and, and walking through and uh, running your scripts if you get in. And there's so much that goes into this. <laughs> I would say a continuous pin testing if it was unlimited, because you would be doing what the hackers are doing every day anyway. And that is hitting someone's environment until they get in. So I think that it would actually make environments more secure if we actually had that type of environment that we could actually do that. Yeah, you know, I have a similar approach that I've talked to a lot of people about where we talk about how if you're not worried about budgets per se, you really should be focusing on understanding how often your systems are changing and make sure that you're doing the due diligence of, of testing things as they change instead of waiting for enough changes and then do a point in time test. So the whole continuous pen testing, pen testing as a service is a model we are noticing that is gaining higher and higher adoption today. So makes a lot of sense. The last question I have for you really is from an MSP perspective, companies today are really running a lot of the same technology stack to protect their environments, right? There's the crowd strikes of the world, the Sentinel ones of the world, et cetera. What can be some factors that make a particular MSP stand out as a differentiator amongst its peers? That's a great question, just in the fact of it all goes back to being a good partner. We all run the same stack for the most part, you know, some will go a little bit further than others. Some will have application whitelisting, some won't. They all run MDRs now. They all have some type of firewall in place, and we all know exactly how to shut down or do geolocation so that the bad guys aren't getting in. But it's that understanding and making sure the business understands what the actual risks are from cybersecurity. Staying informed, having threat intelligence, making sure that their environment is truly secure. And just once again, the partnership of staying on top of everything. Otherwise, it's all the same stack, right? We can all, we can all look at a dashboard and understand what's being done and how it's being done. Uh, understanding security is a huge help. You know, if you do have a security analyst, a security engineer, a CISO, someone who understands the security industry. But it definitely goes back to just that partnership and making sure that your client understands what's going on and why you're doing what you're doing. 
Makes sense. Well, Tim, I have one question that we want to end the podcast with, which is always talking about something not work related and not security related. So, you know, from all the different things that you like to do, if there's one thing you want to share with our guests, that's uh, something you enjoy doing outside of security and outside of work, what would that be? Uh, you know what? And it's a little uh, sadistic. <laughs> I would love to be riding on my bicycle in the mountains. I used to do road racing and it's something I truly just miss being here in Phoenix. It's a little flat. We can go miles and miles and miles without a hill. So I really would love to be riding in the mountains. How about you? What would you like to do? What would you be doing? I do a lot of different things, you know, including golfing, riding my motorcycle, playing with my pets. I have two cats and two dogs. So there's plenty of things I like to do. I have way too many hobbies to really count. So there are plenty of different things that I would like to do if I had all the free time in the world. So a good work-life balance. <laughs> yes, uh, I, I would like to think so. So Tim, thank you so much. This has been a truly a pleasure and the conversation has been fantastic and hope we can continue this in the future. Thank you, Bill. Thank you for listening. If you want to join us as a guest on the podcast or have a recommended guest, please email us at podcast at netspy.com. Until next time.